arguing with themselves and things of that sort. But there's even some of our, sometimes our coworkers and our colleagues and our neighbors, and um, they just get off by themselves. They, they fake a smile when they're around us, but they're looking for something. Something's missing in their, in their lives. And uh, we have the answer. If we know Jesus, we have the answer. We found that answer in a manger. We found that answer in a carpenter, a wooden cross, and an empty tomb. And someday that answer, the solution to all our problems, is going to come back and take his stand upon the earth. And so what do we do? We, for some reason, myself included, we keep quiet about it. We keep it inside, and we don't share it like we should share it. And I'm not talking about, you know, pushing people away from Jesus and being obnoxious. But love God with everything you got. Love your neighbor as yourself. Speak the truth in love. Plant seed. Tell people, you know, you wish God's blessings upon them. Be there for them and build relationships with people. Seems that so many people have relationships with their computers. They don't have relationships with real people anymore. People equate Instagram or Facebook friends with real friends. And um, um, we've got the answer, and we've got to share it with them. And so we're going to be talking about it. Now, with the handouts, today I'll be, the handout one side says the order of the nativity events. That's for you to go home and this way, you know, because there's some anti-Christian scholars that say that Matthew's account of Jesus' birth contradicts Luke's account of Jesus' birth. They do not. They just highlight different events, okay? And you can harmonize the accounts. What we find is Matthew's account is from Joseph's perspective. So Joseph may have been alive early in Jesus' ministry, and he tells Matthew about a dream that he had and what an angel told him in a dream. And, and whereas in Luke's account, he interviewed Mary. And that's, by the way, that's evidence that one of the many evidences that Matthew was written earlier than Luke. I know most of, the, most of our pastors in Kitsap County, even the ones who preach the Bible, haven't done enough research and they think they're actually falling for this idea that Matthew was written later on. And but that's not what the early church fathers told us. And... Um, and, but Matthew, I think, was written so early that he got the information about Jesus' birth from Joseph. I think Matthew was the note-taker. So he was writing large portions of the gospel while Jesus was preaching, even before the crucifixion. Okay? I mean, you got a tax collector, and then you got a bunch of fishermen. Who are you going to pick to take notes? And by the way, if there's no audio recording, no video, and I'm God and I become a man, you better believe somebody's taking notes when I open my mouth. Okay? And, um, and uh, Matthew, by the way, in his gospel, it's the only time the apostles are called scribes. He calls them twice, he calls them scribes. And scribes are scribes because they scribble, not because they memorize. So a lot of false teachings going on, not just outside the church, but inside the church because our pastors are being trained by guys who don't respect in the seminaries and Bible colleges. They're being trained by guys who don't really respect the Bible. 
But if you get a chance, look at um, Hijack and Historical Jesus, that book that I co-authored with Kyle Larson. And we cut through a lot of that and show how early uh, the Gospels probably were written and things of that sort. But you can get the order of the nativity events from here, and you can read it passage by passage. I recommend you do that this week. And you see where the, you know, the birth of John the Baptist was foretold. And then Jesus' birth is foretold to Mary, and Mary visits Elizabeth, and uh, the, then the birth of John the Baptist. And now when Mary returns from visiting Elizabeth, the, he could tell she's pregnant. And it's like, okay, I, wanna, I need to put her away secretly and divorce her. And, um, but an angel appears to Joseph in a dream in Nazareth. And, uh, but then they have to go uh, to Bethlehem, and Jesus is born in Bethlehem, okay, We'll talk about that. And then it's announced to the shepherds that on the eighth day, Jesus' is circumcision, he's presented in the temple to Simeon and Anna, two elderly people who God told them they would not die until they saw the Messiah. Imagine that living to be into your 80s and maybe 90s. But God promised you, you wouldn't die until you saw the Messiah. You know, I'm, I'm telling you, and you'd be like, wow, what a... What an honor to be able to live long enough to see the Messiah. I don't know. Things are getting pretty bad right now. We might have some people in this room might live long enough to see Messiah come back. He told us he's coming back. And, um, and we know whatever he says is true because he conquered the grave. and He is God incarnate. And... Um, and then when the Magi visited baby Jesus in a Bethlehem house, I think Jesus was about a year old, and it was not at the manger. Now, don't be that real critical jerk who slams every major scene because they got the wise men there when the wise men didn't visit Jesus till about a year later. You don't just lighten up, okay? You don't have to... Prove how smart you are and how much you know the Bible. But technically, we don't know how many wise men there were. There probably not three. They gave gold, frankincense, and myrrh. There could have been 50 of them. Okay? And, uh, and they came about a year later because Herod killed every baby, every baby boy in Bethlehem, two years old and younger. And some one-year-old boys, if they're like my grandson, they look like a, they're about the size of a two-year-old. And so just to be safe... Um, Herod killed every baby two years old and younger, every male baby. And, but the Magi visit baby Jesus um, in the Bethlehem house. And so Jesus, Mary, and Joseph had to escape into Egypt. Where did they get the money for that trip? And then to, to pay their bills uh, until Joseph found work. Because in Alexandria, Egypt, there was a big Jewish community at that time. Well, the gives the gold from uh, the Magi. Then they wanted to return to Bethlehem, but um, Joseph saw that um, Herod's real evil son was ruling in the southern part. He figured, well, he's got another evil son ruling up north in Galilee, but if I move to Nazareth, they'll never expect the Messiah to grow up in Nazareth. I mean, it's, a, it's the region with the worst reputation and... Nazareth is the town with the worst reputation. 
And then Jesus' growth in early life of Jesus in Luke 2, verses 40 to 52. By the way, we sang, you know, Mary, did you know today? And there's some of those real hypercritical people They'll say, of course she knew. God told her and this and that and blah, blah, blah and all this stuff. Yeah, well, okay, smart guy. And they're like theologians online slamming Mark Lowry, a graduate of Liberty University, a comedian and a singer who wrote Mary Did You Know and, and was an outstanding singer. And it's kind of like, yeah, well, guess what? John the Baptist also knew that Jesus was the Messiah. And um, yet... When his days were numbered and he was in prison, he sent his guys to ask Jesus, are you the one or should we wait for another? Humans doubt. Mary doubted. When Jesus was 12 years old, Mary doubted enough to try to correct him. She was trying to correct God. And Jesus was like, you know, I'll submit to my parents, but didn't you know I had to be about my father's business? And that kind of language, when you call God your father in a personal way, Jesus is claiming to be equal with God, okay? But any, mo any mother that would have a son who happened to be God would forget that on a pretty regular basis. Every time the mom disagrees with the son, she's going to be convinced he's, he's wrong, and then he's got a reminder, no, mom, I'm God. I can't be wrong, okay? So Mary, did you know on a good day she knew? On a bad day, she kind of forgot that he had walked with the angels, that he resided in the throne room of his father before he came to earth. And uh, so I think that's a beautiful, beautiful uh, Christmas song and theologically sound. Um, so let's take a look now at the first Christmas. Um, you know, do we really know what Christmas means? Most of our culture has forgotten what it's all about. Uh, in fact, it's really, really sad. When pe people always tell me at the stores, the workers, happy holidays. And I say, yeah, Merry Christmas to you. And then most of them respond by saying, yeah, Merry Christmas to you as well. So it, that tells me their bosses are telling them, do not say Merry Christmas. That's very offensive. No, it, it offends what? Maybe 2% of the people in America are offended by it. Most people, even athe most atheists don't care if you say Merry Christmas. To They'll probably say Merry Christmas back to you. And, um, but our culture is being programmed to take Jesus out of Christmas and act like um, it's not all about Jesus. Let me tell you something. Christmas is all about Jesus. Let me tell you something. Human history is all about Jesus. Amen. Reality is all about Jesus. We got churches right now. There's some good church, good Bible, even Bible preaching churches. We're usually not too big. <laughs> the churches that try to make you feel good, they usually get big quick. Sometimes you get big churches, they're doing it the right way, but it's the hard way, the biblical way. Just preaching God's word and, and serving the Lord and serving people. But, um, but, you know, there's churches right now getting close to Christmas that are trying to make God relevant. Okay? God doesn't need your help. Okay? God is, um, because he's God, he's omni-relevant. Okay? That last breath that you took, without him willing you to take that breath, it wouldn't be there. 
your, your continuing in existence is dependent upon him. God is all relevant, omni-relevant, and so Trinity Bible Fellowship is not going to try to make God relevant. We're going to worship him, which means he is omni-relevant. He is uh, infinite in his worth. And that's what wor uh, worship means. You acknowledge the infinite worth of something, the ultimate worth of something. So we're going to look at the biological explanation of what happened there when Jesus was born, then the historical account, and then if we have time, we'll get into the, the theological explanation, okay? And so the biological explanation, Matthew 1, 18 to 25, and... Uh, and so if we read that right now, Matthew 1, 18 to 25. Now the birth of Jesus Christ was as follows. After his mother Mary was betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found with child of the Holy Spirit. Now keep in mind, being betrothed is like being engaged, except, and it's like being engaged where you don't have sexual relations for about a year, okay? And then you officially get married, except... If a guy and a gal break, break off an engagement, you don't need a divorce. You're not officially married. With the Jews, a betrothal was kind of like an official marriage, even though there's not going to be sexual relations for a year. Okay? So um, you would need an official divorce. Now, in the Old Testament, under the Mosaic Law, um, you know, adultery and things like that, you'd... You could be executed for that and stoned to death and all, but, but Joseph didn't know what to do when he found that, that Mary was with child. And, um, and so verse 19, then Joseph, her husband, being a just man and not wanting to make her a public example, was minded to put her away secretly. He was a just man. He obeyed God's laws. He knew, though, the Romans were in charge, not the Jews. And he thought, if I could just put her away secretly issue a certificate of divorce and not bring a lot of attention to this young lady. I thought she loved me, you know, Joseph thought, but, but you know, Joseph knew where babies came from, okay? This is why, this is why Richard Dawkins, here he was, an Oxford scholar, um, one of the militant atheists out there, and he says the only reason why the apostles believed in the virgin birth and the resurrection, why the early church believed in that stuff, was because they were pre-scientific. No. If somebody's born of a virgin and you're pre-scientific, you don't know anything about science, well, that means you don't even know where babies come from. So you wouldn't be, it wasn't, wouldn't puzzle you. Oh, a baby that didn't know a man had a, a lady that didn't know a man had a baby. Oh, wow, that's weird. And then you just move on. Uh, you would know, the apostles knew enough about science, too, to know that dead bodies stay dead. So when Jesus' dead body came back to life and appeared to them, when the doors were locked in the upper room, it wasn't because they were pre-scientific that they worshipped Jesus. It was they knew enough about science to know that a miracle had occurred. Okay? And um, so Joseph knew where babies came from, so he thought, oh, man. I need to put her away secretly. She's been unfaithful. But while he thought about these things, verse 20, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream saying, Joseph, son of David, who's a descendant of David in the royal line, do not be afraid to take to you Mary, your wife, for that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit. So he's being told, hey, 
uh, you're, the lady you're betrothed to, she's been faithful. She's pregnant, but she's still a virgin. Okay? And Joseph's probably thinking, because he knows enough about science, how could God work that out? And then he's thinking, oh, wait a minute, God is God. He created the whole universe. He can, um, he can give a baby to, uh, to a virgin. Then the, the angel said, and she will bring forth a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. Jesus means Yahweh is salvation. Okay? Uh, by the way, it's plastered all over the Old Testament. Um, uh, Yahweh, Messiah is salvation. So basically, the Hebrew scholars that can read the Hebrew, not, not me, but guys like D. James Kennedy who could read the Hebrew and translate it as he goes along if he felt like it, said that throughout the Old Testament you had uh, in the Hebrew uh, uh, Jesus, uh, Jesus, the, uh, Jesus the Messiah over and over again. Jesus, in other words, Jesus Christ. Because there's Yahweh is salvation. Yahweh, Messiah is salvation. Yahweh is salvation. That's Jesus, Messiah, is Christ. So it should have been obvious to the Jews, you know, a Jesus who's claiming to be the Messiah and he raises the dead. Okay, two plus two equals four. This is God incarnate. He's who he claimed to be and he's our Messiah. And then the angel said, and she'll bring forth a son and you shall call his name Jesus for he will save his people from their sins. So all this was done that it might be fulfilled, uh, which was spoken by the Lord through the prophet saying, and then he quotes from Isaiah 7, 14, Behold, the virgin shall be with child and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which is translated God with us. Okay? So when the child is born, God is with us. The creator has entered into his creation and become one of us without ceasing to be God. God with us. Verse 24, Then Joseph, being aroused from sleep, did as the angel of the Lord commanded him, and took to him his wife, and did not know her till she had brought forth her firstborn son, and he called his name Jesus. Now, he says that he did not know her. He did not sexually know his wife Mary until she gave birth to Jesus. So the church down the block, the Catholic church, doesn't it? Mary was not an ever virgin. She was a good wife. Okay. She fulfilled her husband's um, uh, sexual desires, and he fulfilled hers. They had a normal, loving relationship, and um, Mary doesn't get um, extra credit for being a celibate wife who frustrated her husband for the rest of his life. In fact, the Bible teaches... They were very loving to one another. Jesus had half-brothers, James, Jude, uh, Joseph, Simeon, and he had some daughters, okay? And, um, and Adelphos in the Greek, that means brother. It doesn't mean cousins, okay? So, so whatever the case, um, 
they eventually had a normal relationship, okay? And this elevation of Mary, okay, is nowhere found in the, in the Bible. They, Mary, one of the very few quotes of Mary in the Bible, you know, when she's praying, she calls God her Savior. She was a sinner who needed to be saved. She also, at the wedding feast of Cana, she says, she tells the servants, whatever my son tells you to do, do it. So you want to know a message from Mary today? She just say, obey Jesus. Obey and worship Jesus. Don't, don't venerate me, okay? And, um, and so Jesus was born of a virgin. He inherited his humanity from Mary. He had no human father, and he fulfilled Isaiah's prophecy. He is Emmanuel. He is God with us, and he came to save his people from their sins. Now look at Luke chapter, it's not in your notes, but Luke chapter 1. little more information about the virgin birth. Luke chapter 1. Verses 26 to 35. Luke 1, 26 to 35. Now in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent by God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. The virgin's name was Mary. And having come in, the angel said to her, Rejoice, highly favored one, the Lord is with you. Blessed are you among women. But when he saw him, when she saw him, she was troubled at his saying, and considered what manner of greeting this was. Then the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God, and behold, you will conceive in your womb and bring forth a son, and shall call his name Jesus. And he will be great and will be called the son of the highest. And the Lord God will give him the throne of his father, David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom, there will be no end. Then Mary said to the angel, how can this be since I do not know, man, know a man? She knew enough about science to know I'm not supposed to have a baby. I haven't had sexual relations with a man. And the angel answered and said to her, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the highest will overshadow you. Therefore also that Holy One who is to be born will be called the Son of God. Now, now by the way, I don't want to get into a big theological discussion, but I am of the viewpoint that Jesus is called the Son of God, even in the Old Testament, it's speaking prophetically and looking forward, but that Jesus is called the Son of God, it all pertains to him being God become a man. It's talking about his post-incarnate state, that um, Jesus is the Son of God. That's the same thing as saying God become a man. Okay? In other words, I, I don't agree with the eternal sonship of Jesus. Jesus eternally existed as God, the second person of Trinity. John chooses to call him the Word, the Logos. And then the Word became flesh. But I think that that father-son relationship only began when Jesus was conceived in the womb of Mary. And because he was conceived in the womb of the Virgin Mary, uh, he will be called the Son of God. Luke chapter 1, verse 35 uh, tells us that. And so that's the biological explanation. Now, there's a lot of debate that we don't have time to get into. Um, 
How could Jesus inherit his humanity from Mary, yet be without sin? You know, and some, some scholars would say, well, maybe God miraculously placed a fertilized egg in Mary's womb. Well, then Mary's not, then Jesus would really not be a descendant of Adam. He wouldn't really be a human being if he couldn't trace his lineage back. Down the block, the Roman Catholic Church is going to say, well, then Mary had to be conceived without sin. Well, then that makes no sense. How could she be conceived without sin? Then her parents would have to be conceived without a sin nature. And you have to go all the way back, and you've thrown out the doctrine of original sin. It makes no sense at all. Now, so it, it's, it's just a miracle. You know, we should just leave it at that. If you want to speculate a little, it does seem kind of weird that Eve sinned first, yet... Mankind didn't fall, according to the Bible, till Adam sinned. And then Jesus could inherit his human nature from Mary, not from Joseph, no human father, and he's born uh, without a sin nature. And so it is possible, and um, I kind of hold to the position that the sin nature is somehow passed down from the father. So the ladies get it, but it's not passed down from the mother, it's passed down from the father, which means if there was ever a man born of woman without the agency of a man, of a father, um, he would not have a sin nature. Now, if you think I'm nuts and disagree, that's no big deal. That's not nowhere near an essential to the faith. If you just acknowledge, well, look, it's a miracle. How God did it, I don't know but he really got his humanity from Mary, okay? Yet he was conceived without sin. She wasn't. I used to think, as a Roman Catholic kid growing up, I used to think the immaculate conception of Mary meant that she immaculately conceived Jesus, and that's not what it means. They teach that Mary was immaculately conceived so that she can then later on immaculately conceive Jesus. That's not biblical. That's not biblical. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Mary sinned. Only, uh, only Jesus is without sin. And uh, so now let's look at the historical account. Luke chapter 2, verses 1 to 20. First, uh, verses 1 to 5. And it came to pass in those days a decree went out from Caesar Augustus, the Roman emperor, that all the world should be registered. This census first took place while Quirinius was governing Syria. And so all went to be registered, everyone to his own city. It doesn't make a whole lot of sense, does it? Huh? Verse 4, Joseph also went up from Galilee out of the city of Nazareth into Judea, down the southern region, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David, to be registered with Mary, his betrothed wife, who was with child. So they had to go to Bethlehem, okay? Now, that doesn't seem to make a lot of sense. Why, if you're going to do a census, why have all the people all over the Roman Empire go to their, the city of their ancestry? You know, maybe there might have been, like, records kept locally or something. Who knows? Uh, but it really doesn't seem to be cost-effective. It seems to be wasteful. And it amazes me that modern-day scholars would say, yeah, I don't believe this account because it would be wasteful, it's not cost-effective. Hey, have you ever known government <laughs> to, to be cost-effective, okay? 
that's just the way governments do things, okay? Uh, there's also, there seems to be evidence that Quirinius was governor twice there, and so it solves all kinds of historical questions about it, okay? Luke was meticulous in the Gospel of Luke and in the Book of Acts for historical details. And so instead of going to more vague, contradictory historical accounts outside the Bible to try to refute Luke, they ought to go to Luke to refute the other guys, okay? And, um, but whatever the case, uh, you have the census that is taken, and Joseph and Mary left Nazareth and went to Bethlehem, and this fulfilled Micah, chapter 5 and uh, verse 2. So if you look at the Old Testament, one of the uh, minor prophets, Micah, hundreds of years before Jesus walked the earth, Micah 5.2, Micah 5.2 reads, But you, Bethlehem Ephrathah, though you are little among the thousands of Judah, yet out of you shall come forth to me the one to be ruler in Israel, whose goings forth are from of old, from everlasting. So out of Bethlehem is going to come a ruler in Israel who comes from eternity. Okay? Um, this was not a debated passage. When King Herod wanted to kill Jesus, he said, well, where's the, I got to find out, where's the Messiah going to be born? And, um, the scholars told him, yeah, Bethlehem. It's, it's a no-brainer, okay? Now, going to Nazareth was the in-hiding aspect of, of Jesus' life. He'd never expect to, you know, can anything good come out of Nazareth? Um, yeah. The carpenter came out of Nazareth. And because of that, we have hope. Because of that, we have salvation. And so, um, so back in Luke chapter 2, Mary gave birth to Jesus, verses 6 and 7. So it was that while they were there, the days were completed for her to be delivered. And she brought forth her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling clothes and laid him in a manger because there was no room for them in the inn. And uh, so God became a man and visited planet Earth and we didn't have a place for him to stay. No room for Jesus. Um, you can go online. I've preached that message numerous times on uh, Sermon Audio, No Room for Jesus. And it's openly acknowledged. Hey, look, you know, the, the basic message I got from Charles Haddon Spurgeon and D.L. Moody. So I'm not stealing their stuff. I'm just saying, look, man, if they preached a good message, I don't, don't quote them word for word, but the basic idea that God the Son became a man and we had no room for him. And that shocks us. We think, boy, that's really strange. You go back 2,000 years, God visited the planet, we didn't have room for him. Hey, 2,000 years later, most people, we still don't have room for him. It's like, look, look, Jesus, you're God, you became a man, but I, I get my life's too busy, okay? I got my own kingdom, Jesus. I'm not coming off my throne like the wise men from Persia to worship some baby in a manger. I want to be king of my kingdom. 
I want human autonomy. I want to be in charge. I'm building my own kingdom. I'm not going to build yours. And sorry, Jesus, there's no room for you in my heart. This world is filled with people like that. That's why America's got judgment coming. We're not like some third world country that's never had the gospel preached to us. They never even heard of Jesus. Um, we've heard of Jesus. We've built our nation on biblical principles. We've all read portions of the Bible, if not the entire Bible. We've applied these principles and became the most prosperous, most powerful nation on earth. And guess what? America's message to Jesus is this Christmas season. Jesus, we have no room for you. No room for you. Now, Trinity Bible Fellowship, we got we to gotta tell Jesus, look, King Jesus, you always have room. We always have room for you in our church, in our homes, and in our hearts. And we live to build your kingdom, not our own. And if the world's going to hate us for that, so be it. Just help us to love and to pray for those who persecute us. But we're not going to give up. Oh, Jesus. Anytime you're thinking of giving up on Jesus, you remind yourself, he created those Roman soldiers who flogged him. Anytime you're thinking of giving up on Jesus, just remember he created those Roman soldiers who nailed him to a cross of wood. Anytime you're thinking of giving up on Jesus, just remember he could have come down six hours on the cross, horrible suffering. We get the word, when we try to describe the worst possible pain, we call it excruciating. It's a word we get from crucifixion. Anytime you're thinking of giving up on Jesus, you remember he didn't give up on you. He took, he took the punishment to the end and said, it is finished. I paid the price. So Jesus doesn't give up on us. And you just look at your lives. How many times have you fallen on your face spiritually after confessing Jesus as your Lord? Has he given up on you? No. Jesus is not going to give up on you, so you don't give up on Jesus, no matter how bad it gets in our country. But we live in a country, let me, let me tell you something, a country that has no room for Jesus is a country that will soon have no room for Jesus' people. Okay? And I'm, not, I'm not saying that to get you down. We got hope. And our hope is Jesus. But we got to have hope. If you can't have hope in the midst of reality, it's not even worth having hope. And we got to be realistic. Our government doesn't love us anymore. Any country has no room for Jesus, has no room for Jesus' people. And so what do we do? We preach Jesus. Whether quietly or loud, we preach Jesus. Until that babe who grew up to be a strong, young Jewish male died on the cross for our sins and rose from the dead to conquer death for us. We preach Jesus until he returns in power and in glory. And uh, so there was no room for Jesus in the end, no room, no room for God. Creation had no room for the creator. 
And, uh, and so he was born in a manger, the lowliest of births. You know, he got smelly animals. And, um, you know, I'm, I'm really glad God chose shepherds to visit him. They made their living around smelly animals. Can you imagine if it was like Jewish religious leaders, theologians and stuff? And uh, um, the smells alone might have pushed them away from King Jesus and uh, the lowliest of births. Now, when he comes back, things are going to be different. The first time he came, he was born in a manger. He grew up in a despised town called Nazareth. He was not a wealthy man. He didn't, nothing to look at. I mean, he was just, he didn't walk around dressed like a king. Okay? He rode in Jerusalem on a donkey. But when he's coming back, he's coming back on a white stallion, a war horse. When he comes back, he's coming back amidst the clouds with all his angels and power and glory. Okay? And so keep that in mind. You got to pity those who have no room for Jesus. You got to pray for them. Because if they, if they think, well, if Jesus ever came back, you know, it's going to be just some little baby in a manger or, or some guy riding a mule. Now, that's the first coming. He came to suffer and die for us. But when he comes back, he's coming to rescue his people and bring his judgment upon the earth. And so, you know, Bill Gates, Klaus Schwab, Joe Biden, they want to take on King Jesus. You got to, you know, it's like I quote the philosopher, uh, Mr. T from the A-team. Pity, pity the fool. Pity the fool. You don't mess with King Jesus. Okay, verses 8 to 20. Um... Now there were in the same country shepherds living out in the fields, keeping watch over their flock by night. And behold, an angel of the Lord stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them. And they were greatly afraid. Then the angel said to them, Do not be afraid, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which will be to all people. For there is born to you this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And this will be the sign to you. You will find a babe wrapped in swaddling clothes lying in a manger. And so, suddenly there was with the angels a multitude of the heavenly hosts praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace, goodwill toward men. That's why Paul says grace and peace at the beginning of his letters and sometimes at the end of his letters. He's wishing people God's favor and God's peace. Uh, peace on earth, goodwill toward men. So it was when the angel, I mean, we need peace. We need peace with God. It's only through faith in Jesus. We need peace with other men. Look at the wars going on right now. It's going to get worse. But we also need peace with ourselves. We're not at peace with ourselves until we find Jesus. And he starts giving us his peace. A peace that surpasses all understanding. Verse 15, so it was when the angels had gone away from them into heaven that the shepherds said to one another, let us now go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has come to pass, which the Lord has made known to us. And they came with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the babe lying in a manger. Now when they had seen him, 
they made widely known the saying which was told them concerning this child. And all those who heard it marveled at those things which were told them by the shepherds. So, you know, the word starts getting out. The shepherds are going around telling people, hey, the Messiah was born, an angel came to us. And, and um, so there's whispers out there. And the whispers get louder about a year later when the wise men come to visit baby Jesus in the house in Bethlehem. And then Herod kills all the babies uh, two years old or younger and then all the baby boys. And then the people are thinking, maybe he killed the Messiah. But then 11 years later, a 12-year-old boy is talking theology with the greatest theologians in the world in the temple. And those whispers got a little louder. And then 18 years later, the guy shows up to get baptized by John the Baptist. And when he comes out of the water, a dove comes upon him, the Holy Spirit, and a voice from heaven says, this is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. And the whispers are getting louder. And then he gives sight to the blind. The deaf hear, the lame walk, and the dead are raised. And they're waiting for this, this king to announce that he's the Jewish Messiah. And he, never, he didn't call himself Messiah in public, only in private. Because the people thought the Messiah was going to be a military conqueror. They were mistaking the second coming for the first coming. They didn't want a Jewish Messiah Jewish king to be killed in a shameful way, naked, nailed to a tree in public. And, um, but Jesus announced he was the Messiah without even using words when he rode into Jerusalem on a donkey, fulfilling Zechariah 9.9, written 500 years earlier. And they said, Hosanna, save us now. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Of course, they wanted to be saved from the Romans, not from their sins. A few days later, he was crucified, and they cried out, crucify him, crucify him. Um, but the whispers got started, not by the theologians, not by the politicians. The whispers got started. The word went out from shepherds, blue-collar shepherds. Please, I beg you, don't ever come to church thinking, well, I'm just a regular person. I'm not an ordained minister. We've got ordained ministers at our church, and they'll do God's work, and we'll just learn from them. And no, it's our job to equip you for service. Because more times than not, God doesn't take the trained theologians to get the ball rolling. He's still choosing blue-collar shepherds, okay? The stuff you do between Sundays is the most powerful stuff that's going on on the planet Earth. <sighs> the people that you whisper to, maybe if you're loud, you shout to them. But I'm telling you, the whispers are going out. You got to be part of that. Even though the world doesn't want to hear it, the whispers have to go out. 
We've got to do what the shepherds did. The whispers have to go out. God became one of us. The Savior was born. And then we got to proclaim to the world, whether they want to hear it or not, Christ has died. He died on the cross for our sins. Christ has died. Christ is risen. And Christ will come again. We got to, the shepherds got it started 2,000 years ago. We got to keep it going, brothers and sisters. We got to preach Christmas. I'm talking real Christmas. We got to teach, teach people the birth of Christ and salvation only through him. And, um, and so all those things uh, and all those who heard it marveled at those things which were told them by the shepherds. The shepherds started spreading the word. And Mary kept all these things and pondered them in her heart. On a good day, did Mary know? Mary, did you know? Yes, on a good day, she knew. On a bad day, she's trying to correct God for spending too much time in the temple. <laughs> it's like, hey, didn't you know I was supposed to be about my father's business? You know? It's like every once in a while, Jesus had to remind his parents, I love you, my stepdad, and my biological mom, I love you, and I'll submit to you, but please don't forget I created you. And I came here to save you. And so Mary kept all these things and pondered them in their heart. Then the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things that they had heard and seen um, as it was told them. So let's, I think we're going to close there. We'll pick up the theological explanation next week. But let's continue the work of the shepherds. Let's continue. We, you know, we weren't there at the manger, but they were. And they spread the word. And people have been spreading the word about Jesus, the Christmas babe, the Jewish Messiah, God incarnate, God become a man, the savior of mankind. People have been spreading the word for 2,000 years. You realize it sound, we sound so pessimistic because we're over here in America, America and Europe, Christianity is in decline, okay? Um, but the fact of the matter is the church right now is growing at a quicker pace than any other time in history throughout the world in Asian countries, African countries. Africa is way one of the most Christian continents on the planet Earth right now. About 47% of Africans profess faith in Christ. Now, the sad thing is the other half are either communist or Muslims. And so we got to pray for our, our suffering brothers and sisters. And don't think it can't come here. That God's going to see to it that the spoiled American church isn't going to suffer like our brothers and sisters in, in African nations or in Asian nations or Central and South American nations. The gospel is still being spread. The shepherds began preaching it. And for 2,000 years it's been preached. And believe me, we got to get louder now. We got to proclaim it. So we got a proper response to Christmas. Be like the shepherds. Welcome the coming of Christ to the planet Earth. Accept Christ through faith. Trust in him alone for salvation. Be forgiven of your sins. 
and then proclaim him throughout the world. You know, Jesus makes all things new. Um, 2 Corinthians 5, 17, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old is gone. The new has come. We're supposed to live, 2 Corinthians 5, 15, live for Jesus and not for ourselves because he died for us and rose on our behalf. And so the question I'm going to leave you with this Christmas season is how is Jesus displayed in your life? If you claim you're trusting in Jesus, okay, um, then Jesus makes all things new. You're a new creation in Christ. You no longer live to build your kingdom. You're living to build Jesus' kingdom. So each night before you go to bed, when you pray to the Lord, I want you to think about that day and say, Lord Jesus, show me how you were displayed in my life today. You're going to have encounters today and tomorrow that God foreordained those encounters would occur before anything was created. And you're either going to move people a little closer to Jesus or they're going to move you a little bit further from Jesus. But it's not going to remain the same. And that's power. Okay? Are you going to be like the shepherds and proclaim Jesus? But at the end of the day, I want you to look, reflect, and say, Jesus, in what ways were you displayed in my life today? And it might have been just saying, God bless you to somebody. Sometimes when I say, God bless you and be safe to somebody, they ask me for prayer. Very rarely, but it does happen. Sometimes God tells me, just walk up to that guy and ask him what he thinks of Jesus. Okay? But you go out there, start your day, Bible study and prayer, be filled with the Holy Spirit, make it natural to walk in the supernatural. And, um, but ask yourself that question. Um, how is Jesus being displayed in your life? Because if he's not being displayed in your life, um, why should people believe that Christmas is really the story of God the Son becoming a man to provide salvation for us. Let's close with a word of prayer. Father, in Jesus' precious name, we thank you so much, Lord, for the first Christmas when you sent to us your son to become a man, to become one of us and to provide salvation for us. And then you raised him from the dead to conquer death for us. And so may we, like the shepherds, proclaim the true meaning of Christmas, even if our culture doesn't want to hear it. Help us to speak the truth in love. Help us to be gentle and respectful, but to never deny Jesus and proclaim Jesus because he is God, he is Savior, he is the Jewish Messiah, and he came to save us, and to set us free. So may we not only focus on Jesus this Christmas season, may we focus on, on Jesus and live for him 24-7, 365 days a year, 366 days on a leap year, until he returns in glory. May we live for Jesus, and may Jesus, through the power of the Holy Spirit, be powerfully displayed 
in our lives. In Jesus' precious name we pray. Amen.